there we go it always has to say that before Ooh. we yeah this is this is real deal shit man oh wow okay. it'll let you know when it's starting but the thing is when i put this up to youtube nobody knows that it says it but for those of you listening, it says the 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 meeting is in like the recording process or some shit like that. But anyways. yeah, there's like a really really nice sketchy kind of um, like you know a post apocalyptic robot voice that says this meeting is being recorded. That was it was a good impression and yeah man yeah super soothing, super soothing. Yeah, it is kind of soothing. Love that dystopian future vibe. Nothing really nothing quite like it. Yeah. <laughs> so anyways man what got you interested in music um okay so yeah big bro big broad went out the gate huh? yeah 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 it, we'll go into specifics later but you know blanket yeah, terms um, well so my father is a musician um so we grew up in a musical household my mother um it grew up in london in the 60s and she kind of grew up surrounded by musicians and um has always been in you know a really big music fan so music has just like been a, a very big part of of um my life since quite a young age um and yeah again my father's a musician so i kind of grew up just uh, even before i actually physically played an instrument i kind of considered myself a musician because i think i just figured that was sort of part of the part of the the part of life kind of was just like playing music and like making making sounds right right yeah it, that that's good man so i mean you got into it real late then you said like what seven it's kind of yeah well okay so i probably honestly i probably didn't start actually playing until um like properly until like middle school i got into music i mean like I that's even like, later dude that's even later. That's like, you, you're not supposed to be getting into it at that age, but whatever, know, man. Too, too late, too late. Too I, I know I'd outgrown it. Um, Whenever you find it, I guess. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But no, yeah, yeah. You, I mean, you're absolutely right. So, so from a pretty young age, I mean, I remember doing like piano lessons probably around like seven or eight or something like that, but I hated it. And then um, kind of picked up the guitar on my own, starting with a bass or probably at like, you know, 11 or 12. I mean that's that that it, that is in in all earnest yeah that's, that is really young that's like that's the right time to get into it though. Yeah yeah yeah. Super yeah. young yeah. Where did the name Sad Girl come from? Um. So I remember being really. I mean I remember having like a list of names for the group. Um. Like a few different ones and I wanted to be a very LA, um, name and also I was a big fan of um like the name White Fence. Um as a band name which stems from it's like one of la's oldest gangs is is white fence i thought it was like a really cool artistic reinterpretation was to like name a, a recording project like that and um uh you know there's a really a classic tradition in in soul and doo-wop music there's a song called sad girl which was then kind of adopted um as like a street name for for uh, like female gang members and so I thought it was really cool because it kind of ticked a few boxes it was uh, the name of a soul and doo-wop song and I'm a huge oldies and doo-wop and soul music fan so it felt like right in line with the lineage of that um, it felt like it was very representative of kind of like um, street and urban culture in Los Angeles and having grown up in Los Angeles that was like a really important thing to reflect and also it was a very powerful um it, you know represented like a, a, a strong and powerful um 
kind of feminine energy, which I thought was like a really important and kind of different way to approach um, doing like punk music, which is kind of what the band started uh, as initially. And especially coming from, you know, I grew up in Venice. And so like the, the punk bands that were around were like, they had, they had names like Suicidal Tendencies or No Mercy or uh, Beowulf. And uh, it was like hyper aggressive, like machismo. Um, and like suicidal, I don't know, you know, if you're aware, but like suicidal tendencies then kind of like actually offshooted into like gang culture. They're like the Venice suicidal white boys are like a, a, a gang that were like pretty big in, in Venice. And I did not know stemmed. that aspect, but that's, yeah. yeah so pretty crazy. I mean, you, you still see like tags around the West side occasionally that say like, you know, suicidal white boys or, su you know, Venice suicidal and things like that and like different offshoots of it. So I thought, um, a lot of my friends growing up had older family members that came from um, that kind of culture of like the West side kind of like street life and came from punk bands that were, you know, a decade or two decades before um, when I kind of started making music. And so I kind of thought it was like a bit of a tongue in cheek way of kind of like, you know, flipping the bird to that idea of having to have like a hyper masculine version of, a, of this punk group you know what i mean um that had to be in some way associated with violence or aggression and and stuff like that um but honestly primarily i think it was uh like i said i'm a, I'm a big fan of, of soul music and oldies and and sad girl is such an iconic song that has been covered by by um a, a load of different groups and also individual artists and so uh, uh, that's kind of that was kind of that was the coolest sounding out of the list that felt like it sort of checked the most boxes when I was coming up with ideas for the group name. Yeah. So, I mean, there's really no thought process into it at all. Yeah. I, I honestly haven't ever really thought about it. It's just, no, 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 I'm, 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 kidding, I'm kidding, dude. It's a joke, dude. It's a, it's a prank, man. But anyways, how old were you when you wrote the majority of the songs for sad girl thus far? Um, so I started the group in, I was probably 23 or 24. Um, and so a lot of them were kind of between 20, probably 23 and 26. Like a lot of the catalog is probably in that three year period or, or more. And then sort of um, started writing stuff a little bit less kind of like prolifically, I guess. Uh, after that, I started focusing more on songs and, and kind of trying to hone hone my craft as a songwriter and also started growing away from sort of the angry angstiness of like the early days with the kind of you know more aggressive surf punk sound and started um finding myself writing a lot more ballads and kind of um more more um kind of sentimental tracks um and yeah like i said like more, more so honing my songwriting so spending a little bit more time on each song as opposed to just cranking out you know, one minute and 30 second punk songs kind of, or two minute punk songs. So do, do you feel like your inspiration has changed from the beginning of the band until now? It's definitely evolved, but I think, I think very much so my heart still lies in kind of oldies and doo-wop and, and soul music. Um, and, and I still very much love like surf music and spaghetti Western kind of soundtracks and stuff. And, and that those kind of three, along with like punk music, that was kind of where my heart laid. And, and now I think more so than incorporating the punk, the, the punk um, 
element sonically into the music i think it, it i just keep that punk ethos as part of the the energy or the underlying kind of pulse of the music and now i kind of approach approach it as like you know i've been in like uh, punk bands my whole life kind of and um especially like i said like in my early 20s you're like angry and angsty and mad at shit and i'm just a lot less angry these days and and um i find it much more of a challenge to write uh ballads and and more kind of sentimental songs and so it's sort of like an interesting challenge for me to do that and um yeah and i enjoy that a lot so so how, how old are you now i'm 31 so i mean when you look back at these songs when you wrote it like that you were when you're 23 to 26 or 27 how, how does it make you feel looking back on it at this age um it's interesting some some of them I like more than others and I feel like sort of um are a bit more uh you know have a bit bit more longevity in terms of like my opinion about them um there are ones that are sort of like the punk songs that I still like a lot and I think are like still like strong and fun to play I mean they're always really it's always really fun to play like fast heavy stuff it's you know it's it's like real cathartic and good um and then there are a few like of the sentimental ones that i feel like capture a really particular moment in my life that was like important to me and so i really enjoy playing those or ones where i feel like i i um stepped out of my comfort zone a bit and took a risk and sometimes that worked and sometimes it didn't and so some of those i like and some I, some i don't you know yeah it's a it's a mixed bag of emotions exactly a mixed bag of emotions so when, when, when you're songwriting, even then or now, is it a collaborative effort with other people or is it solely on you? Yeah, not usually. Usually it's something that I do on my own. Um, I'm unfortunately not that great of a team player when it comes to doing like the creative stuff. Um, in, in the early days, um, most of the song, like the first batch of songs, I kind of would bring to the table more or less fully formed. And then there was like kind of a window um, of a period where I was making a big effort to kind of collaborate a bit more on the tracks. And so some of them have a little bit more contribution from the band members at the time. Um, and then kind of what would happen really is like, you know, we'd have rehearsals and stuff or we'd tour, we'd record and uh, the writing would really take place when I stepped away from the band and when I was on my own. So that's typically how it goes down. Yeah, I mean, and that's that's an interesting aspect. I mean, like it's different for everybody, and it is really interesting yeah. to get the insight of, I mean, someone's really where they're coming from, writing songs. Yeah, yeah, definitely. When do you feel the most creative? Oh God, that's that's a hard question. I feel like it's it's ever fleeting. You know, like feeling creative is like capturing lightning in a bottle, kind of. Sure, um, sure. And you and so... you know the the questions only get harder, man. I mean. I, I asked with the with <laughs> how you're interested in music. I mean, yeah, you start with the broad one. Yeah, start with the broad one, and she just gets harder. It's levels when am to I, it. When am I feeling most creative? Um, you know, I think, I think after spending a good chunk of time on my own and after experimenting, um, and kind of getting, you know, I get like antsy if I'm not doing too much. You know, if I'm not if I'm not constantly doing stuff. Um, and I'm always, I'm always doing creative projects, whether it's music or art or design or music video production or, or 
uh, or, you know, just like journaling or any of these things, but, um, or cooking, like whatever it might be. I, I, I love creating things. I, re I really, really enjoy it. And I do really, really enjoy collaborating with people and stuff. But I think when I feel most creative is when I'm being challenged uh, with something new. And probably when I'm feeling a bit antsy after I've kind of laid low for a little bit, you know, and like recharged, and then I sort of get the itch to, to be creative. Um, I think that's probably, I guess that's probably one. I mean, that, that, that's a, that's a good answer. You, you, you really <laughs> looked inside yourself for that one, man. Really getting oh, deep. Oh yeah. <laughs> what yeah, do you, you look towards for, uh, for inspiration? Um, I look for a lot of stuff, you know, it's been, been, I mentioned, I think on Dante's podcast, it's been, been particularly difficult for me in the last year or so. Um, yeah, man, I don't know that podcast. I don't know who that is, but I'll, I'll take your word for it. <laughs> it's a ter ter terrible podcast. Don't listen to it. It's not worth it. No, 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 no. Not on this one. <laughs> love you, Ruben. Yeah. I love you, Ruben. That, you know, Dante's podcast is awesome. Um, yeah, Dante Elefante, I'm just going to plug it for him right now. Yeah. yeah plug it. Out. You got to plug it after dissing. You got to plug check out Dante Fonte's podcast. <laughs> it's great. Um, got a lot of, a lot of good people on there. Uh, Misha's on there. So if you didn't like this one, please go and, and check out Dante's. Yes. Yes. It's go. in person and it's not over zoom. That's right. It was in person. Yeah. Um, uh, anyways. Well, okay. An, an, enough about question? him. Yeah. yeah what, what was the question again? I forgot what the question was. Like what, what, what do you look towards for inspiration? What do you, uh, what, yeah. Yeah, okay. what do you find yourself looking towards? all kinds of shit you know I'm, I'm i'm an absolute hoarder of um trinkets and objects and books and 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 uh paper things and 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 comic books and movies and records and vhs's and and um but i think primarily really life experiences is, is where i get my inspiration from when it comes to songwriting um which is why like like i said it's been particularly difficult for me over the last year because i feel like um, not having the opportunity to interact with people or have these life experiences is uh, it's uh, it, it, it's resetting the kind of the you know it's it's having to mine a different well I guess if you mine wells uh, then then I'm usually used to but I usually pull from like all kinds of places um, a lot of the time it's just like listening to music that I enjoy seeing bands live has always been a, an incredible incredible source of inspiration and, and motivation even if it's a thing where it's like where you see a band and you're kind of like I could do better than that or you're kind of like damn this band is really sick you know like it doesn't really matter there's like an energy that you get and an inspiration from seeing live music that that really kind of for me in the past has lit a fire under my ass to like create stuff because it's like fuck I want to be doing that I want I want to be making music I want to be on stage um so yeah, uh, in an isolated environment, it's definitely been particularly hard as of late. But um, those those are some of my usual sources of inspiration, I would say. Speaking of drawing on personal experiences and life in general, I know that you spent some time in England for art school, man. So how did yes. I, how did how did that kind of play into your life, go moving forward from that? Well, you know, it was an interesting reality check, I think, because I had I had always wanted to go to school, um, to this art school in London. I had always kind of envisioned going to this school. And and uh, I took a year off after high school. I, I put a portfolio together of like my visual art stuff and I managed to get into this art school. And it was kind of a reality check because the school uh, sort of didn't live up to the expectations that, that I didn't anticipate it for. And, and my experience wasn't... Um, uh, 
sort of as fruitful as I'd hoped, you know, in terms of creativity and stuff. So um, coming back to LA after art school, I think it was sort of like a realization that I needed to just like, you know, kind of just pr pursue my own thing on my own time and make stuff happen for myself as opposed to relying on an institution or the reputation of a school to provide an outlet for me. It was sort of more so like just you know, taking the reins for myself and, and finding the shit that I was interested in specifically and learning the things that I wanted to learn and, and um, trying to meet the people that I wanted to meet, you know, and work with the people that I wanted to work with and um, create with the people I wanted to create with and things of that nature. I mean, so I, I, how much of a culture shock was it, I, if any, moving from, I mean, Southern California to, you said London, correct? Yeah, yeah. Well, so my mom's English. Um, and, and, uh, I was born in London and raised in LA and my, two of my siblings were also born in London. So, and we would spend quite a bit of time there, um, with like family and things. And, and both of my parents have like quite a strong connection to, to London still. So I think that was in part why I wanted to go to London was cause I, I love the city. The city's amazing. And, um, it's an incredibly inspiring city. If for nothing else, the fact that nearly every single museum is completely free and open to the public all the time and because it's so dense I mean you can just spend a day walking around and, and aside from being inspired by the city itself and the kind of history and the pulse of it um, I mean you can wander into museums just endlessly which is w what I tend to do when I'm there is just walk a lot I, I love walking and and it's such a completely different culture from Los Angeles especially because Los Angeles has uh, is sort of notorious for this historical erasure you know it's very difficult to keep up with the history of LA because it's constantly being bulldozed and mini malls are being put up all the time so you know in London it's kind of the complete opposite vibe where there are these cobblestone streets where the bricks themselves have arguably been in the ground for longer than you know than anything kind of and, and there's such a rich history there and it's so that's a very inspiring environment to be in and, and that definitely is what drew me I think to London for art school and the idea of um, trying to pursue um, like a creative a creative education in the arts yeah I mean that, that that seems like it's really I mean you really thought about this a lot and, and have reflected on it since you know? yeah. yeah I mean I'm as you can tell, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm totally, uh, uh, I'm, I'm an extremely introspective person. So I'm constantly, I can tell, dude, I, 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 I already told you that I saw it, dude. So I, mean, I can tell. <laughs> so were you just, were you staying with your, with your relatives over there when you were over there? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's so tight, man, that's really cool. I was living in a basement flat of, um, a house of some family friends who are, who are pretty much like you know, my, my relatives, my mom has been friends with them since before I was born. They have kids that are kind of the same age as me, or, you know, they're like my cousins, about as, as close to family as you can get before being blood, blood related. So I was living in, um, they had a basement apartment that they converted. And um, that's where I was living. You're the basement guy, dude. You're the basement I was, guy. I was the guy in the basement. I mean, I, I really was. I was the one that was, I would kind of like uh, emerge occasionally from the basement sort of yeah, uh, depressed and moody in in my art school days and absolutely yeah. dude you're just you're just checking all the boxes off man <laughs> that's awesome dude somebody's got to be that basement guy you know somebody's got to fill that role 
And not a lot of people live that role, you know? Some people see it. I'm, I feel like I'm somebody who sees it, but I would love to be that guy. Like, uh, it's like, oh, is he still down there? Who knows? <laughs> that was me. That was definitely me for a while. Yeah. <laughs> you lucky son of a gunman. When did you know that Sad Girl was different than any other music projects that you had been a part of in the past? Um, honestly, kind of off the bat, because it felt like it was the first time that I was, um, it felt like all the ducks were in a row, kind of. I'd, I'd, I'd at this point had like a decent amount of experience in, in um, kind of graphic design and with the screen printing stuff. And um, Paul, who I started the band with, our original drummer, and I really vibed musically together um, and had a kind of, I think he sort of understood my vision for it musically and also um, really trusted my vision creatively in terms of like the visuals and the sort of um, the kind of promotional aspects of it. And we were on the same page about being, you know, big fans of vinyl records and being into the cassettes and into the idea of pressing our own music and kind of doing self-releases and stuff. And so from the get-go, it, it, it was something I was really excited about and felt like it had a different energy than any other project I had kind of been involved in. It felt like for the first time I, I had a pretty concise vision for what I wanted to happen. And I had some, uh, I had a, a, you know, a teammate who trusted the vision for it and, and um, helped kind of um, move that forward with me. So there's new air being breathed into a, to a sense of a, of a new chapter in music per se. Yeah, big time. I mean, I when I came back from art school, I'd kind of I had kind of relinquished to the idea that I I, I probably wasn't going to be playing music seriously to any capacity, um, and had kind of committed to doing primarily more visual arts and graphic design stuff, which is you know equally a passion of mine. But um, uh, I was getting pretty honestly, I was getting pretty depressed not playing music, so it came right right at the the right time. Um, uh to kind of like how get that outlet going again the, the musical stuff who are you playing alongside when you guys started playing together like as like which as which sad band? girl at sad girl um like when, you, when, so, you, when you first started to go out and like okay like we got the songs we got everything let's let's start playing some shows our first show was with some friends of ours who were um good friends of paul and they're a band called Devola, who unfortunately they're not a band anymore, but they were awesome. They're a really sick band. They were also from the West Side. And they're a three-piece, and it was drums, synth, and bass, and that's it. And um, the singer, Justin, was the drummer as well. And he would wear a ski mask while he played. And they were kind of like a little death gripsy, like kind of metal. And the bass player would use like all these crazy effects pedals to get these like really awesome, like deep kind of oscillating fucking sounds. And um, I mean, sonically, like we didn't really pair that well, but, but because they were like really close buddies with Paul and um, they knew Paul had a, had a group going, they had a show set up at this spot called the Scarlet Lady here in Culver City, which is a total dive bar. And so our first show was with Devola at the spot called the Scarlet Lady, um, the Scarlet Lady Saloon. And then um, from there, it was kind of, I think our second show was at a spot called the Down and Out. 
which was a show I got. And I don't remember who else played that night. But early on, it was kind of just anybody who was around. We played Pear Space a lot. Um, we played Time Warp Records a lot. But it was a lot of curating our own lineups. It was setting up the shows for ourselves, you know. There weren't people reaching out to have us jump on bills for a while. It was mostly like we had to set the shows up. Um, and then once we kind of tapped into the community from playing shows, um, we, there were a couple bands that we played with a lot. There were, I played with um, Isaac Rother and the Phantoms, uh, No Parents, Wild Wing. Um, I'm trying to think, shit, who else were some of the early bands? Walter, which was another band that I played in. Um, and before I joined the band, Sad Girl would play with them quite a bit. Um, fuck who else man yeah i feel like that's a pretty good spread vegas oh, that is that is um yeah and that's 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 pretty good you know bunch of people that are that are constantly in the rotation of things yes yeah and honestly it was kind of it was sort of the rejects of the uh of the lollipop record scene which was like really prevalent at the time in la and in echo park so it's kind of cool in your area but, yeah in right, our right, area right, yeah yeah, mm-hmm. yeah yeah exactly when did you start to see some traction behind sad girl i think it was after we did our first seven inch record release show which was at at time warp records in in mar vista or no it was that time warp music it was before they 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 were a music store and then they opened a record store across the street but they used to do shows at um at the music store they had a stage in the back and i knew shane because it was my local music store he's like the owner of the joint and also because i was i was i grew up with um this dude josh landau who had a band called the shrine and they were a west side band and they they would throw really awesome shows at time warp and um i think i stole a lot of things from josh's playbook in terms of like the promotion like the self-promotion booking the shows on your own and and um you know, screen printing all the merch and stuff. And I had actually been screen printing merch for Josh's band, The Shrine, for a number of years before that. And so I realized once I started my band, I could kind of do what I'd been doing for Josh's band on my own. And so we did a, what we did is we played a bunch of really shitty shows for a while, didn't make any money, made a bunch of t-shirts, sold them online and at shows, saved up the money, and we finally pressed a seven inch. And we did a release show at Time Warp Records and it was like a sellout night. We sold out of the records. It was just like a really killer, like the energy that night was sort of like, oh, okay, this is like, there's some shit cooking right now. How did you go about, you know, publicizing your band? It was all just like Instagram and Facebook. Everything was just through Instagram and Facebook and through, you know, we had like a, um, a Tumblr set up as the platform for our website. And just like, you know, just like social media, dude, that's like how we did everything was through, through promoting on social media. Yeah. Do you, do you feel like if a band is trying to get started now that they could gain notoriety without the use of social media at all? Yeah. Honestly, I think it would be really thick. It'd be really cool for a band to do that. I'm kind of like, that's like where I'm trying to be at, honestly, is I'm trying to like move away from the shit. It's tough because it, the, so much relies, you know, your social numbers are very much like a metric of like 
where you're at in life and if you're a creative person like the number of followers you have and the amount of engagement and the analytics like all that stuff really plays in now as like a social currency in a way that it didn't when we first started the band it was sort of more just like well this is sick that people are interested and commenting on the shit and coming to the shows i think it's possible i think i think you'd have to like i think you'd have to be kind of strategic about it and would have to be very intentional that that was your goal was to avoid using social media as a platform so you're gonna publicize hey we're anti-social media by using you're social kind of, media i think that that would be the best way to do it that's the best way to do it yeah what you do is you create a sleeper cell social media account and uh you talk about how anti-social media this band is man this band is so anti-social media but they're playing a show and you should come see it and you should you should come yeah and make sure to take videos and uh use a hashtag use a yeah. Has- yeah exactly use a hashtag how did you get danny trejo to be a part of the norma and jessica video so one of the dudes i grew up with on the west side um in venice is is gilbert trejo who's danny's son and, and Gilbert and I are close friends to this day. We're, we're, we're very close and um, we grew up together. So we, we, we probably became friends when I was like maybe 15 or 16, but we knew of each other. We went to the same middle school and I had a, a lot of my friends who were very close friends of mine knew Gilbert. And then we became friends um, kind of as teenagers and uh we uh yeah and we just stayed friends and so when we when we were working on that video that video was the first sort of venture into doing like a large-scale music video for the project and it was a big deal we did like a crowdsourced i think we did did a kickstarter campaign for it or something like that and um when we were kicking around ideas with our director friends um, David Gantz and Theo Cohen, who who were kind of pitching the premise for the video, I immediately thought we should get Danny in the video. And so I just, I hit up Gilbert and was like, yo, we're working on this video. You think your dad would be down to do it? And Danny is such a, such a kind of gung-ho sweetheart about all that kind of stuff. And he, he was super down. And so he just rolled up on one of the days of shooting, um, shot his part. And that was that. That's rad, man. That's really yeah. cool. Yeah, that worked out too, dude. Usually those things kind of fall through. There's something like so perfect that would happen, you know? Yeah, you never know. I, I kind of remember the day of the shoot that Danny was meant to be on set. And for me, I wasn't really concerned. I mean, I, I knew Gilbert and I knew Danny. And so I knew that he was going to turn up. But I know for David and Theo who were directing, there was this sense of like, is this guy actually going to turn up? Or like, what's, you know, what's the deal? But yeah, sure enough awesome man only because it was sad girl though that's the only reason why not that he (laughs) knew you but he he was a fan he was a huge fan exactly that's why a huge fan of the band (laughs) came to the record release show right i wish that would have been awesome yeah unfortunately wasn't there yeah what was the best concert you went to you attended what is the best concert that i've attended yeah um, there are a couple good ones, but you know, there's one that I feel like is a little bit of a left field one is I went to a show one time in the parking lot behind studio number one, which is on sunset and echo park. It's like on sunset and Vin Scully and it's like shepherd fairies, uh, design studio or something like that. It was like a weird art event or something. I can't remember how or why I went wound up there, but in the parking lot, LL Cool J played 
like on this tiny stage and dude LL Cool J fucking ripped like he came out with like the craziest energy like and obviously like LL Cool J like he's had a long history he's like a household name he's played massive shows and again this was just like a parking lot full of people but the energy that he brought I was like holy fuck like how do you bring that to like how do you bring that every time you know like how can you bring that to like a rock and roll show but he did it because he's LL Cool J. He did it because he, he's LL Cool J, yeah. So that was, honestly, that was like a, a pretty sick one, man. That's that's wild, man. That's that's cool, though. <laughs> <laughs> so how long after you started the band did you go on your first tour? Um, Maybe a year or two after we did. We set up like a real DIY ramshackle tour, me and a friend, uh, my buddy Spencer and I kind of booked this tour out to south by southwest and back um spencer had a band at the time called nofi and so we set up a run out there with like a few like house shows kind of along the way and like weird gig venues and then um a couple really shitty shows actually in austin and uh yeah that was my first taste I think of the road and then shortly after that one I did like a proper tour with my other band Walter and we were opening for Fuzz which is uh, like Ty Siegel's project and um, that was kind of the first tour that I did in a van like getting an idea of what it's like to play venues every night with like a proper routing like around the whole U.S. you know and I think that was maybe 20, 2015. It's it's pretty good to be supporting, you know, fuzz on the on the with, with Walter, dude. But that's uh, it's really interesting. That's a good that's a good amount of people watching your shit. Yeah, yeah, it was a oh man, that tour was such a blast. And, and like I said, that felt like the first real one. And so I kind of remember. I feel like if I really tried, I could probably tell you every single show in order and what we did that day and like eight you know, because I just feel like it was kind of like that, that sort of memorable experience. And I mean, after that, you know, it's like a little bit hard to, a lot of the shows sort of start to blur together once you've been on the road for a while. But that first one, I definitely remember very, very vividly. What was the camaraderie like on that tour? It was pretty funny. Uh, <laughs> uh, Patrick, who's, whose group Walter was primarily, he's like primary songwriter and the front, front person for the group. He was also in the Meat Bodies with Chad, who plays in um, in uh, uh, in Fuzz. And I think Patrick was like pretty fucking nervous the whole time. So he was a little bit of a sourpuss on the road, as far as I remember. But uh, it was it was a blast, and uh, it was it was an interesting thing. Our friend Ross had just started playing in a band called Ducktales, who were touring in Europe at some point halfway through the tour that we were playing. So what we did is we brought our friend Nick to to play drums and Nick rode with us for the first half. We dropped Ross off at the airport in Atlanta, I think. And then Nick took over. Yeah, it was Atlanta. And Nick took over from Atlanta forward for the rest of the tour. So we had two different drummers on that run. But it was four of us for the first half and then just the three of us in the van for the second leg. And yeah, it was a blast. I you mean, gotta switch you know. them out, man. You gotta have some fresh blood be brought in. That's right. Sometimes, sometimes, like halfway through the tour, you just gotta switch out the members, man. 
<laughs> yeah. I, I, I like the idea. It's like, no, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm done. I'm going to bring in somebody else. I'm going to, I'm going to sub in, you know? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's like, uh, it's like you, you've got guys on the bench waiting to kind of sub in when, uh, when someone's getting, getting tired on the court, they're, they're waiting and they're hungry. Yeah, exactly. You need someone who's hungry. Are there any specific moments that stand out from touring to you that maybe wasn't even on that tour or was a subsequent tour? Oh man, there t- honestly there are too many. Um, gosh, there's so many tours. Tour such a crazy experience. It's so interesting. You encounter so many interesting people and have so many bizarre memories. Um, but yeah, I mean, there are a few, like there's some, you know, really important things that stand out, like getting to play the, uh, the Fillmore in San Francisco the first time, which was opening for Chicano Batman. That was like a really big deal. Um, obviously. Oh, Batman's Fillmore rad, is- by the way, let's, I, I gotta, I gotta shut them out. Carlos. Oh Rigolo, yeah. Too. Great guy. He's, he's, he's come on here and I, I really like him. Nice, nice dude. But anyways, yeah, love Carlos, man. He's a great yeah. guy, great guitar player, great musician. All the dudes. I mean, come on, man. Chicago Batman, you gotta you gotta be backing him, or else what are you doing? You know? One hundred percent. That's what I say. Definitely. Definitely. Um, yeah, there's that. Uh, you know, like I always I always mention this uh there's this dude that we stay with in Philly every time we're in Philly, this guy called Joe. Um, Joe the dentist, and he's this uh he he's got a dentist's office and his house like above the dentist's office and it's just the craziest house and uh i feel like no matter how i explain this it's never really going to explain like what the vibe is like but he's a super sweet guy and he just like supports music and uh we stayed there on that walter tour with the fuzz dudes and um this guy Joe is just so hospitable and his house is like so nice. And there's like a balcony off of his second story, like living room, which has a pool table in it and like a little bar. And it's, you know, it's just like a spot where you can like hang and uh, there are actual like nice beds and bedrooms where he would let us stay, which is, you know, often like a big change when you're kind of sleeping on the floor in shitty motels and stuff. Um, And uh, yeah. So we, after we did that tour, word spread about joe and his hospitality and a load of bands have stayed there since my know the paranoids my sister's band they've they've stayed with joe and um my uh uh i know ross who's played in girl pool like girl pool has stayed with them now and um my friend sarah who plays in a band called jim short she stayed with joe and um yeah so like shit like that is a always cool when you encounter some extremely hospitable people who are willing to put up a group of stinky people in their house that's rad was he an orthodontist or what was what was his occupation no he's a de- he's a dentist oh, I, he's a dentist yeah joe the yeah. dentist dude philly got it yeah joe Visit the him. dentist from philly exactly <laughs> joe the dentist from philly nice balcony great balcony sorry great balcony my my apologies joe if you're listening man i'm coming i'm coming for you dude i'm gonna come stay at your house Come, come lay on that, that pool table. There you go. Are you, are you decent at pool? No, I'm trash. I'm terrible I, at it. I am as well. I, I rewatched The Hustler. You ever seen that Paul Newman yeah, movie? Yeah, love The Hustler. Big Paul Newman guy. Fantastic. Fantastic movie. Can never, can never get into it. But recently, I, I uh, tried that shuffleboard game. You know, you see at bars oh, with the sand. Yeah. Fun game. Fun game. Not That's a lot a of skill one. required. So 
that's what I was in. I was, I was playing with my buddy recently. How'd you do? Did you win? We actually figured out how to do it. Like he actually looked at the rules and you're supposed to start on the same side and it's supposed to go like 15 or something like that. Um, I was getting pretty good. I was getting pretty good. I'm not going to lie. Um, yeah, I took, I took one of them and then he took one of them and then our other buddy played him. So, but yeah, that's, that's kind of my game. If they got it there, if Joe has it there, man, I'm playing it. Let's just say that. Yeah. Yeah. What's one song you wish you would have written? One song that I, I wish I would have written. Yeah, that you wrote. You wish you wrote. Wichita Lineman. By- as made famous by Glenn Campbell. Okay. But yeah, it's performed by a lot of people. That's one. Of, I, that's probably really one of my all-time favorites. That was in the back pocket right there, man. Yeah. It was quick. Yeah, I was quick with it. I, I love that song. It's definitely one of my favorites. It's a good one. It's a good one. <laughs> What's the last thing you think about before you go on stage? Man, I don't think, I don't know if my brain's cooking anything when I'm about to go on stage, you know, for a long time. I mean, it's been a while now since we've been on stage, but uh, um, in the early days, I used to puke before every show. I would get so nervous and I still get incredibly nervous, but I think, honestly, I think I'm just thinking like, man, I hope I don't break a string or trip or something, you know? When did the puking stop? When did you stop getting that nervous? I don't know. That's a good question. Probably a couple of years in. Like I tried to get one in, Misha. Like... I appreciate you saying it was a good question. I finally finally got into it roughly yeah. after 40 minutes of doing it. Got one question in. You got, a good one. you got one good one. Yeah, we can wrap it up from here. Yeah, this is go. it, dude. This is it, man. <laughs> uh, just, a, just, just a few more, man. Actually, I'm not going to lie to you. It's a couple more. It's a couple more. <laughs> it's a little bit more than a few. What, what, could you... I mean, if you if you if you think about this, after you get off the stage, what is the feeling that you're feeling? If if you can if you can remember. Oh that. man, yeah, it's like the best. You know, being on stage and being able to share your music with other people, and especially, you know, it was a it was a really big deal when we started playing shows when it wasn't just friends in the audience, and and when people started singing along to the lyrics, and. Uh, you know, there really is nothing quite like it. There's a lot of adrenaline, there's a lot of anxiety, but you're you're presenting not only, you're not only kind of sharing your, your creative stuff, but you're presenting your skills and everything that's built up. You know, playing live shows is sort of the culmination of what you work on as a musician. It's a demonstration of everything that you've been working on, kind of. And when you get positive feedback from that, if there's like a, a great crowd and a really strong energy there really is nothing like it and it and it's super addictive it's you know it's a bit like experiencing like a runner's high or something like that i don't run i want to clarify that <laughs> i have never experienced a runner's high but i would assume that it is kind of you know a musician playing a sold out show at the telegram ballroom with a bunch of kids singing along and crowd surfing is probably you know when you get off stage you're kind of you know, you're tingling a little bit and you kind of, you feel that energy and it kind of, that kind of carries over for the next few days. And you're kind of just waiting for the next one. Really. It's interesting. It's interesting. I like how you backtracked on that statement of the runner's eye. Like I'm not affiliated with them. I don't do that kind of stuff. That's not exactly, but I've heard. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I don't want anybody. I don't want any of your listeners to get the wrong idea. Here no, about me no all 13 of them they're gonna be like mm, what the, what the fuck is this guy up to you yeah know? it could be bad news if if 
if 13 people are thinking I'm a runner out here, it could be even, bad. Even 14. And I had to edit this, man. So we'll just, we'll just, we'll just see what comes out. Yeah. You're going to re-edit it and it's going to say, I love running. Yeah, <laughs> there it is. I mean, that's, I don't even have to do, you cut out so much work for me. That's going to be at the, yeah. at the top of this. There that's, you go. That's your first thing. I'm making it easy. Yeah. You guys can ignore the rest of this podcast. If there's one thing I want you to take away from this, and if I want you guys to know something very personal about me, I love to run. That's my there thing. Is. There it is. And that's and that's not me editing it at all. You heard it here. I'm gonna I'm gonna mark the timestamp on that. Okay. All right. Good. Okay. Yeah, mark yeah, we that. Can, we can move and loop. You could just loop it. We're clipping it. Yeah. What's the most difficult show you've played, or one that's really difficult? Maybe not the the most, but uh, very that stands out to you difficult like in terms of like uh like technical issues and things of that nature yes yes or, but all encompassing everything oh man i don't remember there you get you get a lot of bad shows we played a show in omaha nebraska one time it was like an early show there's hardly anybody there to see the headliner who we were opening for and uh even less people there to see us when we performed and you know it was midway through a tour you get pretty beat on tour you know it's pretty draining and when you roll up to a show and there's like no one there and you're you got to do the set because that's what you're there for yeah it's a real test of test of might test of endurance and and tenacity because you you still try to give it your all you know and um that can kind of be harder than experiencing any kind of technical difficulties um i can't really think of any any extremely gnarly technical difficulties where like you know I was on the verge of a meltdown or anything like that. I remember early on, like maybe second show or something like that we played. And um, I originally liked to sing for a while. I, I tried singing with like, a, I would bring a harmonica microphone and I would sing with that. And those are pretty notorious for getting a lot of feedback. And I remember just getting like an insane amount of feedback while we were playing and getting pretty pissed at the sound guy. Um, but it's probably my fault. So I don't know. He's in back there. You brought the mic, dude. That's your mic exactly exactly like, but it's, bro, but you're mixing it bud so mic. you know who's whose fault is it really yeah both, it's both. exactly you it's both. you get it yeah you get it yeah yeah because yeah. i was that sound guy so kind of fuck you dude i was there dude i told you don't bring the mic i said we have mics here you said okay yeah i'm just gonna use this harmonica mic <laughs> and here we are man here we are finally got to you dude yeah that's yeah, it it's a, a long time going man you, yeah. you stored that shit up i i hold grudges yeah yeah come, come good, after everybody good, good for you vindictive <laughs> if if not <laughs> if not anything i am i follow through with these with these ill uh these ill-mannered situations yeah to get my yeah, spite well, I, I respect that i'm proud yeah. of you and I'm, I'm happy that we finally met face to face after all these years well, we were face to face that night too, but it's fine. We were, yeah. Back at it. If you if you didn't have the exposure to music through your family, do you do you feel like you'd have a different relationship with music right now? Yeah, I mean, definitely. I think I was lucky enough to again grow up in a in a really music rich environment um, and get exposed to a lot of different kinds of music. My mom was an avid music listener and consumer of music, and and. Um, you know, again, my father was like constantly experimenting with different instruments and, and things. And, and, um, you know, my dad, that's kind of, 
a big thing that my my dad and I share is is our love and love of music and and same with me and my mom you know a lot of lot, a lot of families you know like the kids you know connect with sports with their dad or something like that and they're big fans of like a particular team or something like that or might be you know into Matt Damon movies or something like that you know but uh for for my family it was always music that was like the connecting factor and that's still you know I can hop on the phone with my dad and talk to him about gear or 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 you know talk to him about music or production stuff or music biz things um and so that's been like a really important you know it's definitely been a a particularly fostering environment I don't know if I would have continued to pursue music the way that I have if it wasn't sort of part of my family lineage the way it has been how important is the visual aspect to music for you for me it's huge I love it I love it I think it's awesome I mean I was so enthralled you know when you're young you 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 love the band logos, you love band tees, you love the visuals that you see during live performances. And I was always really inspired by a few people, especially from a young age. I, I really appreciated the stuff that like Jimmy Page did with Led Zeppelin with like the branding and kind of giving each band members these weird esoteric symbols and kind of um, all this weird mythology kind of behind it. And, um, uh, you know, George Martin with the Beatles and, uh, and, and um, uh, you know, that, that kind of stuff. And, uh, and also I really, you know, when I was in my kind of like early teen years and later teen years, a big fan of like Jack White and the White Stripes. And he was always very, very specific about kind of like the color of a group or like the band colors and like the logos and the aesthetics of, of the group, you know, the White Stripes were white, black, and red. And I love that. I just loved it. I love that every album color, every album cover had white, black, and red. Um, and I love this, you know, I love the design and the packaging design of um, vinyl records and cassettes and stuff. I mean, it's kind of what you do when I was a kid, you know, cassettes were still a thing and you'd sit in the car, just like staring at the cassettes and like reading all the liner notes and the packaging and stuff. And, um, yeah, I love it. I mean, I think it's awesome. I, for me, the, the visual identity for a group is, is, is huge. I think it's, it's a really fun, creative, um, and, you know, it just adds a lot of dimension to a band. You can create a, a really interesting world that is unique to the music that you're making. Yeah. What was the idea behind using the rose as your logo for Sad Girl? Again, I think it was, um, it was, I think the idea was that it was, it was, it was somehow both romantic and tough, you know, a rose is, you know, it's a, a pretty typical symbol of romance, um, but also is something that people get tattooed, you know, so it's like romantic and tough and just like playing both parts. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And I always felt that's kind of, that was the vibe, you know, is, is the, it was, the group was, you know, romantic and tough. We were doing punk songs, but we were doing love songs as well. You know, where did the tur- where did the the song rather uh, feel like shit? How did that come about? I was driving in my car, and a lot of the songs I write or will come up with parts of them, if not all of them, while I'm driving. I I love driving, and I feel like when I'm driving, just enough of my brain is engaged driving while the other part is shut off just enough to do some really good thinking, kind of. You're not too in your head. Oh, look, we got a cameo. Boom. 
This, All right, this is an important cameo. This is Marmite the cat. Mar Marmite? Did you say Marmite? Marmite. That's right. Okay, that, that's, that's what I thought you said. I just want to make sure I was listening. I'm, I would try to be yeah. an active listener, Misha. I'm trying to. I'm trying to get the names right, everything correct. You're, do you're doing great. You're doing Thank great. you. Thank you, sir. Um, but anyways, so you're driving. driving. And it, it was honestly, it was just the the idea. I thought it would be funny and cool to make um, a classic love song in the style of kind of like oldies and doo-wop um and and you know instead of it being like uh you broke my heart and now i'm crying to just be like i feel like shit <laughs> you know it was just, honestly it was just like a tongue-in-cheek way of doing you know carrying on the tradition of the kind of like uh oldies and love songs that i was a fan of and and have always been a fan of yeah yeah I mean, it's it, it's tongue in cheek in a tongue in cheek in a blatant in a, a blatant way, and if, exactly. I, could, if I could say exactly. that correctly, it would have been a lot better. But I didn't. But I'm leaving it in, dude. I'm. It sounded I'm good. I thought there. I thought it sounded good. Thank I you. It sounded good. Yeah. Thank you. I practice that in the mirror. You really should. Maybe a little more practice. <laughs> maybe maybe a little more, dude. Yeah. Get you throwing the jabs. When we're just when we're wrapping it up, dude. Yeah, we're bobbing and weaving here. Uh, what do you want people to take away from the music that you make? Um, I like that one. That's a good one. That's um, two. That's two good ones. That's All two. Right. That's it. Yeah, that's two good ones. That's uh, and a stumble too. Two good ones and a stumble. Um, what do I want people to take away from my music? I really, I hope I love that my music connects with people, if at all. It means the world to me when it when it does. And for some people uh, uh, who have mentioned to me that my music has has connected to them or played an important part in certain times of their life, it, it means a lot to me. Um, I hope that there are some people out there, and I'm sure that there are that kind of get that just get it. You know, they get get where I'm coming from, and that sort of understand um the sort of creative aspect of it and my motivations behind it and sort of the overall vibe that I'm trying to portray and again kind of living in this world somewhere between romantic ballads and and um you know oldies and soul music and punk music and surf music and a little bit of kind of like early American country music and I, I love the idea of like these kind of gut-wrenching songs that are sort of like, uh, you know, uh, they're, they're, they're genuine and they're meaningful, but they're also not without a certain sense of self-awareness and, and a sense of humor, you know, so. Very nice, very nice. What do you see for the future of Sad Girl? Oh man, I don't have an answer for you for that question. We will see what the future holds. The, uh, to be determined. To be determined. Yeah, everything is in such a state of disarray at the moment. I'm kind of slowly trying to get um, get my feet back on the ground. You know, we're, we're slowly starting to do stuff again and making moves. Uh, I had like a couple, you know, lineup changes or additions and scheduling conflicts with band members and things of that nature and various cancellations and rebookings and plannings and reschedulings and stuff. And uh, it's very easy to get overwhelmed by the kind of daunting nature of all these things. So what I'm trying to do is just take everything as it comes and, and continue to kind of just move forward and, and just create as it comes and, and um, do projects as they see fit as the world kind of uh, continually deteriorates around us. Um, 
Yeah, I have no answer. Very bleak, but okay. That's that's fine. That's fine. Anyways, all right, man. I, no, it is what it is. Speak your truth, man. I'm not gonna censor I, you, dude. I, I I call it like I see it. Say whatever the heck you want, man. Okay, listen, man. I wrap this up with some promo, so okay. the people can find Sad Girls Music on all streaming platforms. It's everywhere. Wherever you like to get your music, that's where you can find it. That's uh, right. You can find Sad Girls because I know you guys have a little bit of tour dates coming up. Kinda, we'll see. It's kind of it's we'll kind of rocky yeah. right now, and you can that's find right. yeah. the tour dates and merch. At uh, wearesadgirl.com, correct? That's correct. That's as right. well through uh, Suicide Squeeze. That's also also where you can find it. And be sure to stream the Goodbye Queenie music video on YouTube, correct? That's the best That's place right. people can find it. Out next week, but it'll be out streaming um, by the time this airs. You'll be able to find you it on it. YouTube. Or... You blew oh, it. Sorry, you blew up the spot. Fuck, man. Okay, are you, are you ready to redo this then? You ready to yes. take it from that? Okay, cool. Hey, man. So, uh, what got you interested in music? <laughs> I'm kidding, buddy. Thank you so much. Dude. Is there anything else we need to promote before? No, I think this? that's it. I was like, thank you, dude. I'll I'll talk to you in a minute. All right. Thank you. Talk to you soon. Appreciate thank you for it. having me. It was a pleasure. Yeah. Thank you so much. I'll talk to. You.